everybody, and welcome to Engaged in Rec. Karina here, your host, and today I have Taylor Hooker, who is the owner and founder at the RT Tutor. Welcome, Taylor, to Engaged in Rec. Hey, Karina. Thanks for having me today. Thank you so much for being here. I am really excited to just jump right in and learn all about the RT Tutor, what you do, how you help rec therapists. I want to know all about it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm excited to, to talk with you more about it. Okay. So tell me a little bit about your background. How did you get to where you are? That's a loaded question. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I mean, we could start from the very beginning. I was one of the super lucky folks that did not stumble into recreation therapy as a discovery major. I knew this is what I wanted to do uh, from a really young age. Um, and went to school at Old Dominion University, uh, worked in, since then I've worked in a myriad of different settings, um, decided I was going to go on and get my master's degree and then fell in love with research. And now I'm in the third year of my PhD, which seems insane to say that was not (laughs) part of my trajectory originally, um, But along the way, like, have worked in a variety of different settings. And some of my fondest memories come from working with older adults and in recreation therapy. Um, And I have to apologize. My voice is is a little scratchy today. I did fall ill to COVID. So I'm on the mend now. Yeah, I'm on the mend. So that's good. You sound great. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Um, it, it It is much better than it was. But. Um, the, the businesses really came, I was one of those folks that, you know, found myself with more time on my hands than usual, which, uh-huh. um, those that know me are, are probably like shaking their heads because, um, I have folks in my life that are convinced that I have like, uh, a body double or something like that, <laughs> but, um, found myself with more time on my hands than usual. And, um, it really came out of a need, you know, students had to shift online really rapidly in the pandemic and um, it was a stressful time. And I think there was a semester or two semesters worth of content that maybe, um, well, I know for certain because of the experience that we all lived through with the pandemic and are still living through, it's traumatic and you know, uh-huh. stressful and that impacts memory. And so it was really impacting students' ability to retain information and prepare for the exam. So I I had one student reach out to me that I used to mentor and teach back in the day. And she's like, you're smart. (laughs) You can tutor (laughs) me, right? And I'm like, sure, we'll figure something out. And it really started from this super organic process and developed into a really sophisticated process where I onboard people. And it's a little bit of tutoring, reviewing concepts. It's a lot of mentorship and just support and preparing people for the exam. Um, So yeah, it kind of came from one student and now I've tutored over 35 and we're having really good success rates. I I can't take all the credit for that because I just work with really cool people (laughs) that are committed and want to be in this field. And so I'm just here to kind of support them along their journey. Well, I feel like, I feel like 
switching all the way over to virtual learning, like in class, you have that support face to face where you kind of are, I don't know, like it, virtually you're able to build all of these relationships. But when you're in class, it, there's just something different about the learning, like you were talking about memorizing things and learning it properly. And so more people need that one to one support and that tutoring, where you're able to just have that connection with that one person on an individual level, I feel. Absolutely. And I, you know, I have students that I encourage them to study in a variety of different ways. And I've done group tutoring before. And um, we actually have like small groups of students that would mm-hmm. book together and then they book individual appointments. And what I've noticed is that like folks have a natural fear of not knowing. And yeah, you spent yes. four years learning this. You're not going to be an expert overnight. Um, so it, it kind of takes off the pressure. Um, I have zero judgment like at all. And so I, I think it just takes the pressure of feeling like you've got to know everything. Um, and no question is a dumb question. And we really try to take these complex concepts and break them down super simply and make them relate to each student so that they feel like they've got what they're working with um, and they understand it and it applies to their day to day life. How do you learn best? What way do you learn best? Um, education has always been uh, a passion of mine. And so I just have to throw myself into something. And that's really the only reason that rec therapy really cemented for me. So I actually did my bachelor's degree in two and a half years, uh, which I look back and I think that that's crazy and I don't recommend it to anybody. (laughs) Uh, But it really was a passion of mine. And I saw myself as a student helping people. And that was magnetic for me. Um, And so I just threw myself into it. That became, and it still is today, what I eat, sleep, breathe, and drink is, is recreation therapy. And, um, you know, I think immersing yourself in a passion of yours makes learning a lot easier. Um, And then I have a vision for what I want. So whether it's a job or Um, If you envision yourself helping people, I do a lot of practices like that that help me stay committed, especially when I'm in classes like in undergrad when I was in anatomy and physiology and um, in graduate school and statistics was not my favorite thing. But, um, you know, just having a a vision towards what you want to accomplish is is really helpful. But flashcards, study guides, talking it out with friends trying to explain a concept to somebody that has no idea what you're talking about and like trying to make a concept explainable to a five-year-old can really help uh, in that study process. So throughout your career from the very beginning in school all the way till now, um, when were you introduced to working with seniors? So actually in undergrad, um, and I'm a little ashamed to say this, but, you know, I was, um, I guess, younger and dumber. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, I told myself, oh, you know, I'll, I'll never work with older adults. That was actually the misconception that I had. I um, had my first experiences in the field was working with uh, children, teens and young adults with developmental disabilities. And I thought that that was the trajectory I would be on forever. And then I got into um, an interest working with uh, addiction and sobriety. And I was just like, you know, that's not my forte working with older adults. And 
the fact of the matter is, I mean, statistically, folks are going to work in in senior care and long-term care services at some point of their RT career because that's just the need and that's the availability. And where I live right now in, in rural North Carolina, those are the only jobs available. And um, went and got my master's um, straight from my bachelor's degree and landed my first job working with older adults. And I was absolutely terrified. I had a lot of oh. those misconceptions about older adults and thinking I would hurt someone and, you know, just a lot of unlearning, societal unlearning that I had to do. Um, and so actually most of my experience has been with older adults and it's been absolutely phenomenal. I actually started out and I did one of my first placements in a French elementary school oh. working. Um, yeah. And so I, because I'm, I wouldn't say that I'm bilingual, but I am very functional in French. And um, so I worked with them and I was like, mm, not my thing, I don't think. <laughs> and then I went on to work with teenagers and young adults. And even then I was like, mm, still not my thing. <laughs> and and in, while I was doing that at the same time, I was doing um, another placement working with seniors and in a memory care specific area and I was like this I found it like this is what I want to do and I think so. there's such value in doing that right like I um, teach at a couple different universities throughout the year and I hear from students like I'm never going to work with x population yeah just and try I, it my advice to them is like okay now you need to go and work with that exact population like yeah. that's where you need to do your internship because so many times the, the misconceptions or preconceptions that we have about a particular po population are just absolutely blown on the, out of the water. And for me, it was the fringes of the age category. I was like, I can't work with older adults and I can't work with children. And I don't know where that misconception came from, but I've absolutely adored every experience that I've had. Um, and I think it makes you more well-rounded and gives you more of a perspective about, you know, if you're working with children and you've worked with seniors um, you can adapt things in different ways. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I would encourage anybody that's listening, if there's a population that you feel like you can't work with for whatever reason, um, go and try because you might be really surprised at the level of connection that you can have with these individuals. I know I've had some students as well that have, that have sort of said the same thing. They're like, I'm never working with that population. And I'm like, ah, don't. Don't never. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You might, and you might love it. So go try, but seniors for sure are my jam. That's where I absolutely adore being in the senior living industry. Yeah. Um, can you tell me about some of the experiences that you've had working directly with seniors? Yeah. So like just logistically, I've worked in just about every setting you can think about in home care long-term care, assisted living, independent living. Uh -huh. um, and one of my experiences when I started working with veterans exclusively, um, I was going to be the director of a senior day program. And I had actually moved across country um, to take this position. And, you know, we, this was when I worked in Minnesota and I just knew that I had made the wrong decision. It, it, it was when it was negative 35 degrees outside <laughs> and I'm from the East coast and where it never gets below, you know, 20 rarely. 
and I'm totally regretting everything. I'm like, why did I move my little family out here? Um, and when I got there, they actually informed me that, hey, the day program is actually filled. You're going to be on hospice. Oh. So, you know, taking that that older adult experience that I'd already had, you know, previous years before, and I'm like, I don't know if I'm equipped to do this. Like, mm-hmm. what am I, like, what am I going to do? And hospice is kind of a certain person, too. For sure. And and yeah. I feel like I've definitely, I know that I am that person now, but, mm-hmm. you know, going into it, I was like, I am totally not fit for this. I am going to let these people down, right? All of those, those things that we tell ourselves and um, got into it and met the most amazing staff. And, you know, usually when you hear a company say like, oh, we're family, <laughs> like that's a red flag and you want to steer clear of that. But really and truly the staff that work on hospice are like a family unit because there is a lot of grief and Uh you do connect with these people and there is trauma and you have to support one another. And my heart goes out to, to those folks that I used to work with, especially right now during the pandemic. Um, but you know, I was just trying to wrap my head around this fact that like, I'm going to connect with these people and then they're going to be gone. Uh And you know, I've experienced loss as a recreation therapist working in long-term care. And what I had basically told myself was, you know, I had all this time to connect with seniors in long-term care. And then one day I'd go into work and they'd be gone. And that was so hard. Whereas when I worked on hospice, it cuts out all of like the preconceptions about death, right? It's like, we, we know nine times out of 10 when someone comes on our unit that they're going to pass at yeah. some point. And so let's cut out all of like the niceties of like, how's the weather and like, what's your, you know, let's get to like the real stuff. And one of our main questions that the whole care team was concerned about is what matters to you? Like, what do you need right now? And what's most important to you at this moment? And Everybody was concerned with that. And it was, it really took the level of perfectionism that I felt like I had to have as a practitioner and totally threw that out the window because I just prioritized connecting with these people and having a genuine human connection. And when the deaths happened, because they did, they were less, um, less jarring even than when I worked on long-term care because we knew. Like we yeah. knew going in that this would happen. And so we're just going to do the best that we can and make this person's life as meaningful as possible at the very, very end. Um, one of the really cool programs that I want to make sure that I get a chance to tell you about is the, the make a, it's a, basically a make a wish program, but it was a hospice wish program. Okay. Uh, and that was probably one of the hallmarks and like burned memories in my mind now of working with older adults that I will take with me forever. What types of make a wish did you get to do? Yeah. So I got on this unit and the program really needed, needed to be reorganized. So they hadn't had a rec therapist for quite some time. And that just happened to be the job that the rec therapist was responsible for one of them. And um, it was really sad because several months had went by and basically folks had died without, you know, even knowing that a wish was possible, but without getting their wish. And so Mm -hmm. uh, we formed this interdisciplinary group of folks and worked with finance and all these donors and things like that and got the program off the ground. 
And one of the first wishes, which is the one that is most salient to me, um, you know, I just moved to Minnesota. I was totally feeling out of sorts and missing family and second guessing everything I did and wondering why the heck did we move here? And uh, just like, I wouldn't say regret, but I was having some second thoughts and <laughs> just like, what in the world did I do to myself? And within the first month, we got this program off the ground. And one of my, um, one of my patients, which we'll call, we'll call him Tim, um, had come in and he's just a spunky man, um, just full of life. And, um, he recently had gotten married. He was in his, uh, early seventies and good for Tim. I know. Right. I'm like, good for Tim. Oh gosh. I've got stories about Tim. It's hilarious. Um, <laughs> but just like a jokester and like always keeping you on your toes and used comedy and humor a lot to cope with his mortality. And, uh, very sarcastic and him and I just really hit it off. And um, I was like, Hey, we've got this program um, that we are getting off the ground. It's called a, a hospice wish. And you can basically ask for something that you want, you know, within reason. I, I can't, you know, give you a million dollars, unfortunately, but if there's something that you want to do that you've not had a chance to cross off like your bucket list, the bucket list. Yeah. That happen, right. And he was, uh, so he's a veteran, former helicopter pilot, and he wanted to go ride in a helicopter one last time. I'm like, okay, that's feasible, right? There's lots of uh, companies around the Minnesota area, and there's huge, you know, beautiful scenery that way. Um, and we actually had a connection with a company in Duluth, Minnesota, that donated uh, veterans' rides. So they would do awesome. it for, really for a lot of veterans, but... Uh, we got back in connection with them and, you know, I'm doing all the things behind the scenes that recreation therapists do that are thankless and nobody really knows about. And so scheduling things and making it happen. And mm -hmm. um, again, just kind of still in my own head, you know, we go to work every day and we still have our own issues that we think about for ourselves and um, connecting with my clients. And we got the date scheduled and it was for um, the, the next weekend. And I happened to, I think I was going to some ATRA conference or something uh, the weekend between or had some type of professional conference or travel going on, um, you know, back when we, when we traveled. We're allowed to travel. Uh, yeah, seriously. <laughs> and uh, I had gotten back um, and we went on this trip, uh, drove him up in our accessible van, took his wife. We went and had dinner halfway to Duluth because it was about a couple hours and then uh, his wife and him went up on this helicopter ride. Uh, I stayed down on the ground because there's just not enough room. And, I mean, this man, he had a motor. Like, he would never stop talking. And he talked the whole way up to the trip and back. Wow. And it was lovely. And um, the plane lands. And I have some photos of this. And it's just awe-inspiring. And I opened the cockpit door and I'm like, so what did you think? And for the first time in the four to five weeks that I'd known this man, he was completely speechless. And I'm like, Tim, you, are you okay? <laughs> like, are you good? Like, did you have, like, did you lose some oxygen up there? And he just goes, that was awesome. And I'm like, I'm good with awesome. That's great. And then, you know, we just went on with the day and his wife thought it was the coolest thing in the world. And 
we drove the couple hours back to the hospital and again, speechless the entire way. So him and him and, uh, or excuse me, his wife and I, uh, just chatted about things on the way back. And, um, and I check in and I'm kind of worried about him. Like maybe it wasn't what he thought it was. And he's quiet and I just kind of felt really bad. And he gets back to the room and we get him on the unit and the receptionist at the front desk asks him how it went and he just gives her two thumbs up. I'm like, okay, you know, maybe we're all right. Still not talking. <laughs> Still not talking. And again, this is like not his usual. And, you know, they go on to their room. I end my day and I had another flight. It was very, uh, I was a big traveler back then. And I think I flew out on like a, like a Thursday and flew back that Sunday. And had taken some days off of work. I'm in the airport on the way back to Minnesota for my trip. It's Sunday. My husband was picking me up from the airport and I had like a missed call, which was weird because it was an early Sunday flight. Nobody really calls me that early. And my mm-hmm. husband like knew the time and I checked my voicemail and it was from this, this veteran's wife. And, you know, I figured she was just, you know, calling to, ask some questions about some things and whatnot. And we had been conversing with each other because we had to do all the logistics to plan this event. And I still have the voicemail saved on my phone and I'm walking through airport uh, to get to my baggage and, you know, for my husband to pick me up. And so I'm listening to this voicemail and the beginning is really unintelligible. You can't hear it. It's because the wife is like in tears and she's oh, no. like, hey, Taylor, it's so-and-so, Tim's wife. I just wanted to let you know. I'm not sure if you heard. Tim did pass away early this morning. And I can't thank you. I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it. I can't thank you enough for that helicopter ride that you took him on. It meant the world oh. to him. And it meant the world to me. And I was able to have one experience as a wife with him. And not as a caregiver and not having to worry about anything for one day. And I can't thank you enough for that. And I'm like walking through Delta. Oh, my God. I'm like bawling. I'm pretty sure security stopped me and made sure I was okay. And I'm like, I'm fine. And so I call my husband and he's like, hey, I'm here. I'm like, you know, where are you? And I'm like, it's okay. And he's like, what is wrong with you? And I'm like, it's we moved here and it's this is where we're supposed to be and it's all worth it. And it, it all makes sense now. And Mm -hmm. this is what we're here for. And he's like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Like, wait, she's like, what is going on? I think he thought something happened on the plane and I get in the car and I, you know, told him about this, this story and, and he's crying and we're crying and we cried all the way home. And, you know, it was a super emotional experience, but it was one of those, career marking experiences that yeah. I absolutely never forget. And that was one that was like, you know, I don't have it all figured out. I don't, you know, I'm worried that I'm not doing everything the way that I'm supposed to be, but I made a difference for that person. And that's why I moved halfway across the country to do this. And, you know, not that I'm the end all be all, but this is what I get to do every day. And that's pretty freaking cool. And um, yeah, I got to do that on like a daily basis, but that was the first one. And that one will forever be seared into my memory. 
I think that type of story and that feeling that you just gave me is like the feeling that everybody, not just rec therapists, everybody in life is searching for, you know, like whether you're in finance, you're in serving, you're doing whatever career that you're possibly doing, like every single person wants to make a difference in somebody else's life. Yeah. Totally soul affirming and just like, all right, like. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know if I'm doing this right, but I made a difference for that one. And there's a super cool poem. Um, have you heard of the starfish poem? I don't think so. Um, if you, I can share it if you like. Yeah, I would love that. Yeah. So I'll have to look it up real quick, but um, it's a poem that one of the nurse practitioners read to me um, that was really a mentor to me. And she kind of got me out of my head, at least as a, as a greener therapist. Um, and she read this poem to me and she's like, we're going to figure it out. We don't have all the right answers. And, um, I've been doing this work for 40 plus years and I still don't have it figured out, but you, you make a difference and you need to know that. So, um, this is a adapted version of a poem called the star thrower by Lauren Isley. And I hope that I'm pronouncing that right, but Uh, It says, an old man walking along the beach came upon a child sifting through debris left by the night's tide. Every so often, he'd pick up a starfish and toss it back to the sea. The old man asked him the purpose of his efforts. The tide has washed the starfish onto the beach, and they will die unless I throw them back. The old man looked around at the miles of beach. There are so many more starfish than you could ever save. You cannot make a difference. The child bent to pick up another starfish and sent it hurtling back into the ocean. And then he looked up at the old man and smiled and replied, I can make a difference to this one. And that was really the model of care that I moved forward with because, you know, you hear about seniors in general. Uh, My specific population has been veterans and there's such a need. And sometimes it can feel super overwhelming that, know we can't save everyone or that our net isn't big enough and I've really especially during the pandemic it feels super super overwhelming um, because our staff is stressed we are stressed Mm -hmm. patients are stressed everything is just on max and it's like I'm just going to prioritize this human connection with this person in front of me and I've made a difference with that person And I'm not going to worry about trying to, you know, what I can't do and who I haven't reached. But for that one person, it made a difference. And I think I try to share that poem with as many colleagues as I can, because it's this idea that you absolutely make a difference every day. And it's a thankless job often. And Mm -hmm. it's a misunderstood job. Um, You know, folks do not understand the the skill and the scope of practice and what it is that we do every day, but we absolutely make a difference in folks' lives. I had, it just makes me think, recently I had been working with individuals in our heated saltwater pool. And Mm -hmm. so I was doing a social swim, like a socially distant swim. And so residents would come down and we just kind of, it wouldn't be like a structured class or anything, but it's a time that able people are able to socialize in this therapeutic pool. So it's really great for their bodies, but we're also like socially connecting. And to me, it was just like, let's go down and have a social swim. No big deal. But I had a resident that finally, 
I convinced to come down after like daily being like, hey, you should come. Hey, you should come. I think you'd really love this. You should come. And so finally she came and we got her in the pool and we had ordered bathing suits beforehand and got her in, had a blast. Like she was like, oh my God, my body just feels so light. I feel amazing. But to me still in this moment, I'm going, well, this is just normal, right? Like everybody comes down and, and mm-hmm. we're helping her, but we're also helping everybody else. And anyway, fast forward a little bit after weeks and weeks and weeks of her going in the pool and us helping get her in and get her, getting her out and socializing with her. She left me, she snuck into my office and left me a note on my desk that was like, I can't tell you how much your effort and like support and guidance getting me into the pool meant to me. And it's <laughs> I was so like, good. oh, I didn't realize that it meant so much to her. Yeah. Um, and then it, it's just, that's when you know that you're doing something right. Absolutely. And I think we, it's very rare that we get those moments, right? Like these clear memories. And there's been periods throughout my career where like those doubts come in and it's like, mm-hmm. am I doing enough? Is this, what am I even doing? What am I doing? Right. Is, is it working? Is it effective? Is it meaningful to these individuals? Do And like, then you start getting down this like rabbit hole of like, do other people care? Like, yeah. You know, and it just is a spiral. And I've noticed that at those points in my life that I get like a real um, reality check. And it typically comes into the form um, of running into patience. And I've had a million of those experiences, um, not necessarily with older adults, um, but one of my neighbors actually uh, was a patient that I had worked with in um a psychiatric hospital in South Carolina. I had no idea. Um, one, uh, the gentleman that changed my oil once was another patient that I work with on a psychiatric unit. Wow. And both of those instances, I had run-ins with these folks. On a, they're like random. It was a random Wednesday or like a random Friday. Yeah. And, um, you know, they'll come up to me and the one that was changing my oil um, I know this isn't older adults, but I think it speaks directly to this idea of like, you make a difference and you don't hear about it. Uh, but he was changing my oil and I'm sitting in the lobby. It's one of those like quick service places where you get out of your car and go yeah. sit in the lobby. Um, and he comes in, he's covered in oil and he's like, ma'am, uh, two things. One, I'm pretty sure you were my therapist at the psych hospital and, <laughs> Um, so of course my like nervous system just goes fight or flight. I'm like, oh dear. I'm like, I hope, (laughs) I hope I never said anything that like offended this person. And, um, he said, you probably don't hear this very often, but I just wanted to let you know that I've got a job and I'm working and I've been off of drugs and alcohol for 90 days and I'm on my medication. I'm going to my support groups and I'm getting ready to open up my own mechanic shop in about three months. And you were one of the people that helped me. And I just wanted to say thank you because you probably don't hear that very often. You don't hear success stories. And without missing a beat goes, and I need your wheel lock because your tires are locked and I need to rotate them. And I'm just like <laughs> standing there flabbergasted and I'm like, um, it's okay, in, it's in the glove box. Thank you. And I'm just like, 
sweating and just like a mess in the in the uh waiting room and i'm just like thank you you know i really i'm so like i'm proud of you and thank you and i appreciate you sharing that and i'm like crying on the way home (laughs) and um you know again like telling my husband these stories and he's like those are moments that reaffirm why you do what you do and it's really easy to get away from that and it is important that we focus on evidence-based practice and um, structure and advocating for the field. Absolutely. But when you start to get down on yourself that, and you start to question like what it is that you're doing and does it work? And those voices, usually external voices, because people are like, Oh, you just get paid to play and yeah, have a fun job. And I wish I could have your job. You know, those voices start to become your internal professional voice and you have to remember the basics like go back to the basics of what you were taught and just remember that you are helping that person. And, um, you know, I used to question, especially when I first got started in hospice, what, you know, am I qualified to do this, this work? And yeah. I had a family member who we were talking about it and I was like, I, I just don't know, like if I'm cut out for this, if I'm, if I'm doing what I'm supposed to, this is so different to me. And, um, they said, look, I don't understand what it is that you do. (laughs) Um, the word recreation therapy kind of confuses me like it does most people. And despite the many Thanksgiving conversations we've had where I've had to explain what it is that I do to millions of family members, it's, it's hard for people. Right. Yeah. And she was like, I don't know what it is that you do. I don't understand it. I think it's amazing. I wish I had your job. But all I know is that you were one of the last people in that person's life to make a difference before they died and to make them happy. And to me, that is a superhero capability. And you're super obsessed with outcomes and goals and objectives and evidence-based practice. And that's, that's cool. But to everybody else, you made that person happy. And you may have been one of the only people to do that. And you can end the day peacefully knowing that you've made a difference in one person's life and, and worry about all the other stuff later. And I was like, oh, okay, I can deal with that. Like that gave me a sense of peace that it's like, we're not going to, not every intervention is going to go seamlessly. Not every patient is going to be a major success story and it's a trial and error process for sure, but we absolutely make a difference in people's lives, whether we hear about it or not. And I think we really have to be careful not to lose sight of that. Yeah. And I also think that like people, when they're, when they're talking about seniors, lots of times they're like, Oh, seniors, they're retired. That's the end of their lives, you know? And it's like, no, no, no. There's so much we can do working with seniors, even if they are in hospice, you know, like there's so much that this is just the beginning. They're (laughs) retired. They're in their senior lives. Like this is the beginning for them. They really get to discover and learn and figure out who they want to be Mm -hmm. as a senior adult, which when you're younger and you're in your adult life and you have your own kids and you have all of these other responsibilities and work and things like that, like you don't really get to discover your full self. 
until you have those those chances and working with seniors i find that we really get to dive in deep and be like okay let's learn who you are and help you find your purpose absolutely absolutely and i think as a younger person um you know typically recreate i can say this pretty safely, I would assume, but typically people that are working with older adults tend to be younger um, than the people that they're serving. Uh Um, But as a younger person who, you know, is also trying to figure out what I want to do with my life, um, you know, I've learned so much from the clients that I've worked with and just my favorite thing is hearing their stories and, you know, I think just being able to, to, to meet just this wide variety of people. And then again, also helping them rediscover what it is that they, they love, what matters to them. Yeah. What do you, you know, in this time, this period of your life, what do you want to be doing? There's no expectations. And it's really unpacking a lot of like that societal stuff that it's like, You've had a, a single mom that's had to take care and hold it down for her kids their entire life. And that's been her identity for so many years. And now she's retired and she's in assisted living or independent living or in long-term care. And she's got time, but she doesn't know what to do with it. And mm-hmm. she's really reconciling with who she is as a person and all the things that have happened over her life. And it's like... Versus who she thinks she's supposed to be absolutely. you know like who you are as a person is completely different than what everybody else is telling you that you're supposed to be and it's like unpack I mean and this is true for really any population that we work with but yeah just unlayering all of that societal expectation and recreation and leisure has always been a conduit for a lot of life transformation in my life Um, and it's really cool to get to see that on display for especially our seniors and it's like I had one uh, had one client that had never picked up a paintbrush in 60, 70 odd years because when she was a teenager, uh, her mom had told her that one of her paintings was ugly and she carried she carried that for her entire life. And we got her engaged in some uh, creative expression and the girl can paint. She can paint. And, you know objectively and commercial art is one thing, but like everybody is creative and just the freedom that that gave her to be like, you know what? I can do something that I love without the expectation and approval of anybody else. And that is super freeing. And then it bleeds into everything else. It bleeds into her relationship with her kids and her spouse and her friends and the new friends that she's going to make and her identity and, it is just a super soul affirming and um, self-esteem affirming experience to just watch people come into their own. And there's like this grieving period for a lot of folks where it's like, wow, I've lived my whole life and I had this experience and it's taught me that I, yeah, I don't really have to worry about what other people think of me. I have to be comfortable with what I think of me. And it's like, yeah. And then it's like, why did I waste so much time? And it's like, well, let's use what we got now and let's make the best of it. 
There's a quote, I forget where it's from, but I think it all the time. Somebody, or I saw it or something. It was, um, other people's reactions are not a reflection of me. Yeah, absolutely. And so I say that in my head all the time. Other people's reactions are not a reflection of me. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it is, you know, I think what's really super interesting is looking at the generational differences and what's going to be really phenomenal is to watch the kind of mid or the maybe generation or generation after mine uh, as they age and the expectations that they have, because they've watched their senior parents in nursing homes and um, you know, the, the age of bingo and um, they've seen a lot of the, the, you know, here in the States and I'm sure in Canada um, as well, you know, there's older adult care is not perfect by any means, by any stretch of the imagination. And I think, you know, the next aging populace is going to want and expect different services available. Absolutely. And this aging in place movement is going to really radicalize, I think, how older adult services are provided. Yeah, 100%. I agree. We have gotten very deep and, yeah. off, and off of our, our tea tutor talk here. No, but I good. have totally loved speaking with you about everything. Like, I feel like we could chat for a long time. Well, I'd love to come back if you'll ever have me. But, you know, I mean, that's the that's really the, the nature of your podcast. So I, I, I would be remiss if we weren't talking about seniors because that's yeah. really what... I mean, really and truly, that's what got us both here to where we yeah. are. And um, yeah, it's been so fun talking to you. I have had a blast speaking with you as well. If people wanted to get in touch with you, what, okay, what, let's go back for a sec to the RT tutor. What do you tutor them on? Yeah, so primarily it is an NCTRC prep service. And then okay. um, there's also, you know, I don't see a whole lot of this right now, but um I'll get like occasional support for like papers, editing papers and assisting okay. people. I'm not going to write people's paper for them. No. So that's not going to happen. But I do provide consultation and support um, because sometimes students, well, first off, let me say this. If you're a student, your professors want you to come talk to them. That is why their office hours are there. Speak to them, talk to them, build rapport, rapport and connection with your professors. They want that. Um, you do not need to reach out to a service like me. You have a free service and that is your professor. So absolutely make use of that. Um, but you know, I've got folks that will reach out for major projects and need some consultation or just want some feedback, um, big assignments and, and I'm able to support them in that way. Uh, but mainly preparing for the NCTRC exam. I've helped tutor folks on the C-TRAC exam, which is Texas, um, the state of Texas's, uh, specific credential. <laughs> Um, and so really just all things recreation therapy. And in, in that, um, it's kind of morphed into this just overall RT consultative service. So I have folks that will reach out about program development and advocacy because that's a lot of my background. And so it really is just this overarching company. But the primary services that we provide are in, uh, NCTRC prep Um and then through that, we've created the RT Coach. So the RT Coach is a still in the beta phase. We're hoping to launch in March. 
but it's a training program, which we're hoping that will also generate CEUs for recreation therapists. So you kind of kill two birds with one stone. Awesome. I need a less, I need a less uh, aggressive metaphor than killing birds with stones. But <laughs> if anybody has one, let me know. But um, it's training recreation therapists on competencies for health and wellness coaching, which is in a field in and of itself that's very complementary to recreation therapy. Um, and so you, the hope is that you also get your CEUs and maintain that, but then you also have another credential so that you can be a little bit nimble in the workforce, um, and complement both fields because they're very complementary of each other. So those are really my passion projects right now. And, um, they're still in the infancy phases because I have a million other things like school and work <laughs> and, and, and things like that. But it's really an absolute pleasure to be able to work with the students that I do. And um, we offer free consults and we talk to people and some people use our services and some don't, but I just encourage folks to reach out and we'll talk on FaceTime or Zoom or whatever platform you want to. I can give you a study strategy and get you set up regardless of whether you tutor with me or not. We've got a Facebook group that folks awesome. um, create a little community with. So Really and if people help. want to get in touch with you, yeah. So how do they um, do that? A couple different ways. Uh, we're on Instagram and Facebook um, at the RT Tutor, and uh, if you want to email me, it's Taylor at the RT Tutor dot com, or you can go to the RT Tutor dot com. Um, there's a million different ways that you can get in touch with me. So um, my cell phone number is on the website text me. I'm open all the time. Um, so I'm very accessible and I want people to reach out regardless of whether they are tutoring with me actively, uh, because I think it helps reduce stress and gets people, uh, calm and ready for the exam. And it's so nice for RTs just to connect with each other and support each other in this field. We all need each other. Oh my God. Yeah. And you know, if my one claim to fame, uh, that I have is my network. And that's really just come from getting involved in the field and our national profession. Um, uh, so my one encouragement is for everybody to do that, right? Join your 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 yeah. national profession, whether that's CTRA or ATRA, and get involved and and be determined to stay involved even when it gets difficult, because that's how we all support each other. And if I don't have a resource for somebody, I know somebody that does, and that's one of my favorite things is getting people that connected yeah getting people connected I kind of feel like the old school like phone board operator that's like plugging <laughs> people together and that's just my favorite thing to do and I'm happy to do that for anybody uh and that's um pro bono I just love getting people connected Taylor I have had such a great time talking with you Thank you yeah, so true. much for coming on Engaged in Rec. I hope that we stay connected so that we can support each other throughout everything RT related. And um, yeah, thank you so much. Absolutely, Karina. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Bye-bye.